This is The Guardian. I'm Gabrielle Jackson, coming to you from Gadigal Land, and this is The Full Story, Newsroom Edition, where Guardian Australia's editors discuss the news of the week. With the budget fast approaching and the cost of living continuing to hit the most vulnerable Australians hardest, the Labor government is at a crossroads. Provide immediate and meaningful relief for those most in need or be cautious in an effort to prevent inflation from spiralling even further out of control. We do know the Albanese government will not substantially lift job seeker payments, despite its own poverty experts calling for an increase to the seriously inadequate unemployment support. A move the leader of the Greens, Adam Bant, said Scott Morrison would have been proud of. Labor's not making hard choices in this budget. They're making everyone else make hard choices. Today, I'm talking to Editor-in-Chief Lenore Taylor and Head of News Mike Tisher about the cost of living, the budget and tough choices. It's Friday, the 21st of April. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Good morning, Lenore. Morning, Gabs. Good morning, Mike. Hi. So we published an opinion this week by Melissa Fisher, who lives on JobSeeker, and she said when Labor was elected, she felt a glimmer of hope. Lenore, here we are almost a year since the election with a budget coming up and cost of living continuing to bite. How is Labor navigating this tension? Well, I think they're kind of really coming to the tension point, aren't they? So, you know, the polls would suggest that Australians have been quite liking Anthony Albanese's style. He's been just getting on with the job and doing the sort of easy, early things that the government can do. But I think we're now at the point in the budget cycle and the election cycle when, you know, they're going to start disappointing people, when they can't do the things that people might have expected when they voted for them. And I think this budget is where those pressure points are really going to be evident. We'll see some cost of living relief, I think, in the budget, certainly that package they've got for power bills. But there's a whole lot of other things where pressure has really been building and the government is now at the point where they're saying over and over again, look, we're in this situation where we can't spend too much money. They claim that spending money will always fuel inflation, although there's debate around that as well. And, you know, it comes down to choices and the Mm. choices that they're making and the balance that they're arriving at between taking a political risk and doing progressive policy. So I think we're right at that point where 
the rubber hits the road, to use a terrible cliche. (laughs) (laughs) We'll come back to those choices, I think. But before we get there, Mike, there were a few reports out this week that Labor had commissioned. I wondered if you could just tell us what they were and what the main recommendations have been. Well, there were probably two main ones. Uh, You say Labor commissioned them, but really the first one was only under, through the intervention of the extreme duress, (laughs) in return for his support for the industrial relations changes they put in last year. As a result of that, they set up this committee, the Economic Inclusion Committee, to report very quickly before the budget on measures that could improve economic inclusion, logically enough. And that report was given to the government in February and was made public this week and made 37 recommendations, but of which by far and away the most significant one was to raise the rate of job seeker to something like $49.50 to about $68 a day. So smallish dollars if you're an individual person, but enough to make a significant difference to the people who receive it. As we know, JobSeeker has languished below the level of all other or almost all other welfare payments for the best part or even more than a decade. And then the other report was from the Women's Economic Equality Task Force, which recommended to increase rent assistance and give a pay rise to childcare and aged care workers. So it's kind of a bad look for them if they turn around and say, well, actually, we can't afford to do any of these recommendations. How much do we know, Lenore, about what they may or may not do? Well, on that headline recommendation about raising the level of job seeker, they were pretty damn quick to knock that on the head and say that they couldn't do anything significant there. And it's just so galling, really. I mean, that committee found that the level of job seeker right now is acting as a barrier for unemployed people to enter the workforce because they couldn't buy the essentials of life. We have known this literally for decades. The Business Council of Australia has been arguing that exact point for more than 10 years. There have been inquiries, the Henry Review. I mean, I don't know how many times expert committees and reports and inquiries have to come up with the pretty damn evident conclusion that the level of job seeker is the cause, the main cause of poverty in Australia and that people can't live on it because it's just not a livable amount of money and governments don't do anything. People can't afford to buy food and medication. People can't afford housing. Bill Shorten said this week he couldn't afford to live on it. Well, of course he couldn't. Nobody can. And Jim Chalmers said we can't do everything all at once And that's entirely true. They can't. They have to choose. And they are choosing not to raise the rate of job secret. It would appear that that's the choice from how they reacted to that report. They're choosing to continue with the stage three tax cuts, to put money into inland rail, to do a whole lot of other things. And they are choosing not to raise the rate of job seeker. And it is a choice. And I think we're at the point where a progressive government will be held accountable for those choices. I think people also forget how many people this affects, particularly because the, the headline rate of unemployment is so low at the moment. It's easy to forget how many people are on JobSeeker and other payments like Youth Allowance, like it's nearly a million people. That's a pretty substantial portion of the population living well below the poverty line if that's the only resource they have to keep them going. So if you're thinking about it in who's going to vote for whom, it might seem like a marginal concern because they aren't necessarily the people who will swing an election. But in actual real, you know, people terms, which hopefully is what we're thinking about as well, that's a lot of people. And, you know, we ran another piece this week about youth allowance, which said that students are being left with as little as $13 a day to live on because rents are so high. 
So I don't know how we can think that this is okay. And the government and the coalition always sort of fall back on the argument of, you know, unemployment is low, there's lots of job vacancies, we want to encourage people to get work. But we know that the dividing line between the disability pension and unemployment benefits has shifted over the years and that there are a lot of people on JobSeeker who have multiple barriers to getting a job, physical health and mental health barriers to getting a job. And, you know, I just don't understand what kind of society would think it's okay to leave those people living well below the poverty line year in, year out. David Pocock wrote an opinion piece for us this week, Mike. He was pretty scathing. What did he have to say? So Pocock, who, as we said, was the moving force behind establishing this committee in the first place, has just been really forthright about bringing forward some of the stories that the committee heard from individual people who will be affected by raising or not raising the rate, you know, people who are living on on JobSeeker now. He, in a really coherent and, I think, articulate manner, highlighted some of their stories, their actual living conditions, what they can afford and what they can't afford, having to choose between medicine and paying their power bills, for example, and also just made a really compelling kind of progressive case for, A, it's economically advantageous for people to be in work rather than not in work, very obviously. The rate of job seeker is holding them back from that. Uh, but also just on a purely human? we're a wealthy human? country, <laughs> we can afford to, we shouldn't be leaving mm. people behind in, in pretty abject poverty. And you would, it's the kind of case you would hope a Labor government would be making. I mean, Labor governments are kind of, you know, what they do is disappoint people, right, in mm. on the left. <laughs> and <laughs> because, expectations because are always everyone, high. Mm. Yeah, everyone has probably unreasonable expectations of what can be achieved and how quickly it can be achieved and especially after a long period of a conservative government, all the things we want to fix all at once. And as Chama says, they can't all be fixed at once. But again, it's a choice about what they're going to do and what they're not going to do. And you can understand why they've got into this position to some extent, But for example, with the stage three tax cuts, because they were so cautious going into the election not to present a hostage to fortune in the election campaign. But you would wonder now, they've won the election, they're riding extremely high in the polls They've got a for bit a first of political capital there, yeah. The coalition is at 28% in the polls, according to the Resolve poll this week. If there's going to be a time when you're going to make a really bold decision and do something that breaks away from that very cautious approach, then you would think now is probably the time to do it. And, you know, while those stage three tax cuts are there, you know, they did toy with the idea of, you know, they floated the balloon late last year and then, you know, popped it again. But while they're there, they will always be the point of contrast. The benefits flow to people earning over 100000 The biggest benefits flow to people earning over 200000 And they're saying they can't have, help people whose payments amount to $18,000 a year. That I mean, it's a valid point of comparison. So the argument that Labor has made consistently is that they can't do too much in this budget because they don't want to inflate inflation even more, Lenore. What are their main arguments? I mean, look, the argument that the budget is under pressure is true. Like, it is absolutely true. In the short term, they're going to get a windfall from commodity prices, but in the long term, the budget is in a structural deficit and they do need to do something about it. That's an entirely valid argument. They always cite the danger of fueling inflation right now as the reason why it's really hard to do sort of straight out spending policies because they don't want to, you know, get a wage price spiral going. There's a whole lot of debate about that. There's a lot of argument that, in fact, inflation at the moment is being fueled more by profits than by wages. Wages are still lagging behind inflation. The RBA 
governor has really refuted that, but a lot of other economists think differently. I think our columnist in the UK, Larry Elliott, this week called it greedflation. So, you know, there there is debate around the extent to which spending would fuel inflation, but that is one of the big reasons the government gives for not being able to do too much too quickly. Yeah, and I guess the other one is the size of the deficit which they mm. inherited from the previous which government. Which is big. As you do, which is huge. Like interest payments on our debt are the biggest single component of the budget and with interest rates going up, that's not going to get any better. There are good reasons for fiscal caution, but looking at some of the other decisions they've been made, so Eleanor mentioned the inland rail, which the review that came down from Kerry Schott recently found that the price tag had somehow gone out from $16 billion to $31 billion in mm. two years. That's $15 billion in two years. That is enough to pay for a rising job seeker for, you know, very back of the envelope maths for about more than half of the forward estimates in the, at the rate that the Economic Inclusion Committee recommended. I mean, it's not a project that is going to appear anytime soon and, and which there are big question marks over its economic validity. And yet apparently there's enough money to fund that. We should also possibly talk about the things that they might be going to do. It does look like they might do something about the Gillow government policy of moving single parents off the parenting payment and onto JobSeeker when their youngest kid turns eight, which will be welcomed. I think that's sort of the one bit of that report that they might be able to respond to. So what are the dangers for Labor, Lenore, if this budget doesn't provide what is seen as meaningful relief for people Mm. who are doing it tough? I think it's interesting. I think the sort of secret to longevity for any government, particularly a centre-left government, is, you know, looking like a steady economic manager, that is important, but also finding ways to materially help people's standard of living. That's what people's hopes are for. And I thought the Guardian Essential poll was really interesting this week. It found in the first instance 25% of respondents were finding it hard to pay basic food and housing and childcare Mm. bills, which we kind of knew. But more interestingly, more than 70% believed the federal government could do something about it and even more supported, you know, quite bold, direct interventions like capping electricity prices or increasing the minimum wage. So they're they're quite powerful expectations from the electorate that the government can do something and the government should do something. And I think that's quite a strong message to the government. You can see why such a young government after such a long period out of office might be reluctant to be too bold. But then again... The cost of living crisis has kind of sprung upon us, the extent of it at least, more than they might have expected over the past year Mm. when they've been in office. And you could make a perfectly rational argument that circumstances have changed since they were elected and therefore that requires a new policy setting. Next, big cities, big lies and big feelings about eggs. Hey, Laura Murphy-Oates here. At Guardian Australia, we want to make sure you're getting the news that matters in 2023. Our morning mail and afternoon update newsletters are short and capture the most important headlines of the day. If that sounds good, you can subscribe for free right now by visiting the Guardian homepage, searching Guardian Australia newsletters, or just downloading our app and you'll get daily notifications. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. 
Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Now we come to what we can't get out of our head. Mike, what was it for you this week? Well, I think perhaps unusually for someone who lives in Sydney, what I couldn't get out of my head was the fact that Melbourne has at least notionally overtaken Sydney in population terms, according to the figures that were released this week. It's kind of a technical measure, but... (laughs) Sydney people always say it's on a technicality. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I mean, you know, the convention is that Melbourne people care a lot about what Sydney thinks about them and Sydney people don't care what Melbourne thinks about them in the slightest. (laughs) Whether that's true or not, uh, I'll leave for our listeners to decide. But because they added one bit of outer western Melbourne to the contiguous area of one one way of measuring what cities, (laughs) how big cities are. I need um, to stick up for Melbourne in this discussion. I love Melbourne. That made it bigger than Sydney. And I think it'll actually be kind of interesting to see whether that changes the dynamic in the way, in the psychology of the... Or who cares most. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) well, maybe. I mean, I don't... Who cares? Like, literally, who who cares cares? which city is bigger? But probably need to hear from some Melbourne views on that. (laughs) Yeah. Lenore, what couldn't you get out of your head? I couldn't get out of my head the fact that the Fox News case with Dominion, that blockbuster case in the US, settled just as a jury was waiting to hear the opening statements for what was supposed to be a six-week trial where Rupert Murdoch and all the Fox News star presenters were going to have to give evidence. And it was already sort of shaping up to be quite difficult for Fox because the legal process had unearthed a great deal of evidence that Fox and its presenters and Murdoch himself knew that the Dominion voting machines hadn't rigged the election and knew that Donald Trump's claims that he'd actually won were baloney. But the thing that I couldn't get out of my head was the way that they responded to this settlement. So uh, Dominion's attorneys came out and said, truth matters, lies have consequences, the truth does not know red or blue. But Fox in a statement said the settlement reflected its and I quote, continued commitment to the highest journalistic standards. Yep, that's what they actually said. Lucky they Uh, can't see our faces. uh, I I would say you couldn't make it up, but um, anyway. (laughs) I thought it was interesting too, the article that The Guardian published on Thursday had been watching Fox and... No news. No, it was well. It was mentioned briefly. Yeah, but not by any of the present the after dark presenters. No, I mean that might have been a part of the settlement. To be fair, true. What I can't get out of my head is the articles on how to boil an egg. <laughs> how do you boil your egg, Lenore? I put it in uh, warm water and bring that water to the boil for a little while, and then turn it off and let the egg finish its cooking in the water. But I do not, as I discovered many of our colleagues do, stick a pin in it and make a hole. Who does that? 
I, I don't know. I, I do that. You do? Why? <laughs> because you just release the air out of the air sac and then it doesn't the, the shell doesn't break when it's in the boiling water. My shell it's doesn't like a break. Well, well known well known culinary fact. Wow. Egg <laughs> facts. <laughs> uh, well thank you both so much for joining us today. Thanks and all. Thanks, Gab. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. That's it for today. Thanks so much for listening. This episode was produced by Miles Herbert and Daniel Simo. The executive producer for today was me, Gabrielle Jackson. Have a great weekend. We'll be back on Monday with a regular episode of Full Story. We'll see you then. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.